0: Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. We're continuing our series walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, the church in Corinth was a church that the Apostle Paul started. It was, it was an imperfect church. A church that was sort of limping along. They were having some struggles. They had some questions. They they wrote to the Apostle Paul because he was no longer with them and asked him some questions, shared them seeing things that were going on in their church, and then they he wrote back to that church with some instruction. And we know that letter back to them as the letter of First Corinthians. In the very first part of this book, we saw that uh, the foolishness of the cross, the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of the gospel, the foolishness of the church. And last week, Pastor Savon did a wonderful job unpacking what it means to have spiritual understanding. And today, we're going to look at what it looks like to be people who grow spiritually. There's a a sociological phenomenon that we're living in right now that's called delayed adolescence. You saw a picture of it uh, on the screen just a few moments ago. It doesn't always mean that someone's living in their parents' basement playing video games all day and screaming for meatloaf from mom, thank you, Will Ferrell. A few decades ago, though, sociologists, sociologists started to see this trend that fewer and fewer teenagers were driving. We're having jobs after school, and we're engaging in quote unquote adult activities. Now, let's be clear some of those adult activities, we are grateful they're not engaging in as much anymore, but some of them have delayed the movement into adulthood. Some experts suggest that it's because kids spend more time in front of screens or on chat rooms or maybe playing video games. Other experts suggest that it's because we have lived in a state of affluence in the United States for such a long time that the natural result of living in a state of affluence is delayed adolescence. Regardless of why we're in the position we're in, people have coined the phrase failure to launch syndrome to describe the trajectory that's being elongated between childhood and adulthood. I have this conviction, though. Nobody wants to stop growing. Nobody wants to get stunted in their growth. Nobody wants to stall out. Nobody wants the business to cap out. Nobody wants the marriage to get to that good enough line and just sort of hover there. Nobody wants their friendships to just maintain. As people, one of the sort of human longings is to continue to grow, to continue to develop, and to continue to mature. But but sometimes we get stuck, don't we? Sometimes it feels like we can put in all the effort in the world, but we just don't move a whole lot. And then sometimes it feels like if we don't keep pushing, the natural tendency is to begin to just sort of slide back into our normal patterns. If you've ever sensed that, you're not alone. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, put it like this. He said, the Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor and cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. Thank you, Chucky Spurgeon. Anybody exhausted and feeling even more exhausted now? Right? And some of us, you're, you're here today and you're going, right, I just needed a word for the weary. I didn't need to be told that I need to continue to keep growing and continue to push forward. And I want to tell you today, if you're in that spot, I think the Apostle Paul has some really good news for you. Because his invitation to growth and to continue to grow and to continue to move forward is a little bit unexpected. He comes at it a little bit slant. He wants to address some things that are going on in our heart, and our mind, that may be preventing us from growing. So if you have your Bible... Will you open with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we begin season 2 of our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, we're calling this season Failure to Launch. This passage is all about maturity, it's about growth, it's about our part, and it's about God's part. And remember, Paul has planted this church in Corinth, it's a a church he loves that he's writing back to, and he's going to address some fairly hard topics with them. And listen to the way he begins this portion of the letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Are you there? Wonderful. Here we go. He wrote this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. Now, this is a not-so-subtle dig at the church in Corinth. His claim is, you're, you're immature. You look like adults, but you're eating baby food and wearing diapers. This isn't a passage that's on a lot of mugs that you find at the Christian store. Not a lot of tattoos with this one, right? I mean, this isn't one that we're really pushing into going, we love this passage, and yet, Paul begins this section of the letter, and he wants to press in. And remember, Paul was with the church in Corinth for one and a half years. During that time, he saw temple prostitutes come to faith in Jesus. He saw people who were pagans come to faith in Jesus. They were infants in the faith. He was with them for one and a half years. He's been gone for three years at the time he writes this letter back to them. So in four and a half years, Paul expects that someone who's come out of a pagan background should be well on their way to maturity. And I was captured by that because I think our expectation of maturity has a lot longer runway than maybe the Apostle Paul's did. Four and a half years, fresh into a walk with Christ. And he's going, you should be further along by now. And I wonder if we've even in in our spiritual journey have incorporated this idea of delayed adolescence. Because Paul wants to press, and he wants them to move towards maturity. In fact, his expectation is that every single follower of Jesus would be growing. Listen to the way that he put it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present, how many? Everyone. everyone what? Mature in Christ. See, Paul's expectation is that if you're a Christian, you're continually growing. You're never done with this journey toward maturity. But the Corinthian church had stalled out. Uh, Their growth had been stunted. And maybe you've been through a season like that too. Where you just feel like things are sort of in neutral on cruise control. You don't feel like you're growing a whole lot. You don't feel like you're losing ground but you don't also feel like you're becoming the people or the person who God has designed you to be. Now, Paul has some good news for us. It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to what he says. Jump down to verse 7. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the what? The growth. It's God who's at work to make you grow. So here's the great news that we got to circle our hearts and minds around this morning. Not only has God designed us to grow, but God has empowered us to grow. So here's the realization if we're not growing, it's not God's fault. He longs for us to move toward maturity, but the message that Paul has for the church in Corinth is the same that he has for us today. Growth gets stunted when God gets sidelined, growth gets stunted. When God gets sidelined, God wants his church and his people to grow. He wants to see us flourish, but our unhealth can stand in the way of what God wants to produce in our life. Let me say it like this, and you may want to write this down. You can't make growth happen, but you can sure prevent it from taking place. You can't will it to happen. But there's some things that you can do to stand in the way. There's some things you can do to stay in the perpetual land of delayed adolescence, elongated further and further and further out. That spiritually, we would stay on a treadmill working really, really hard, but making no progress, standing in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. Now, wouldn't it be great if we could figure out what we had to do to get out of the way to let God do the work in our life that he longs to do. Wouldn't that be great? Okay, three of you think it would be awesome. So, um, listen, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. There's four things that Paul points out in this passage. Ways that we embrace maturity and then an invitation, immaturity and an invitation to maturity on the other hand. He begins like this in verse 3. For you are still of the flesh... For while there is jealousy, which is a feeling, an inward feeling of burning towards another, where you see somebody and you go, and strife, which is an acting out of that feeling of, oh, they're still among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulos, are you not being merely humans? Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, this sounds familiar to you probably. And if you just go back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, you'll see almost the exact same thing. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say I follow Apollos, some say I follow Cephas, some say I follow Jesus. And so Paul, once again, is addressing the division that's happening within the Corinthian church based around their allegiance to leaders rather than their adoration to Jesus. And he wants to say to the church, that is a completely human way of thinking. And what it does is it shows the spiritual immaturity rather than the maturity that Jesus would have you walk in. Remember, a few weeks ago we said unity is of ultimate importance because division leads to destruction. But here Paul claims not only that division leads to destruction, but he says the the perpetuating of division, the dividing in the church along allegiance to certain leaders is a display of immaturity. And so catch this, catch this. For the Apostle Paul, Immaturity is not found in your lack of biblical knowledge. Immaturity isn't, oh, you don't understand the deeper things of theology. Immaturity isn't, in this instance, isn't, well, you're not serving and you're not giving. What does it mean to be immature, according to the Apostle Paul, here? Oh, it means that you perpetuate division. It means that you let jealousy drive the way that you interact with people. It means you congregate along allegiance to leaders rather than adoration to jesus and in in contrast to that paul would say no apollos and i aren't in competition we are according to verse 9 god's fellow workers we're linking arms together we're not in competition with one another and he says listen jealousy is a posture of immaturity but partnership When you start to view others in the body of Christ, not as competition, but as partners, that is a move towards health where you position yourself for growth because God is at work. See, if you spend your energy trying to defend your territory and fend off the competition, you will prevent the growth that God wants to take place in your life. One of the best examples of this that I know of in the scriptures is the tension that existed between King Saul and David. I think there's a pretty thin line between Saul and David. David is a man after God's own heart, but he didn't quite get it all right, did he? No, but, but he had this conviction that God had put him in the position God had put him in, and he would take him out when he was ready to take him out. He was solid in that. But Saul, even though he was a head taller than everybody else, and even though he was more handsome than all the other men in the nation, he was insecure at his core, and he was always looking over his shoulder. He was always comparing himself To David and to others. And when he heard the people sing the song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. Jealousy captured his soul. And it prevented him from being the king that God had designed him to be. He couldn't handle it he started to lash out like a privileged baby and it takes so much energy to be jealous that if you spend your energy being jealous you will never have enough energy to grow let me say it like this jealousy and growth are mutually exclusive you can have one or the other but you cannot have both And ours might be a little bit more subtle than David and Saul or even more subtle than was going on in the Corinthian church. Our jealousy might look like just a little mini fist pump when somebody else fails, right? (laughs) A little bit of resentment when somebody else gets that promotion that we were in line for and we thought we had in the bag. Or maybe, and I told you so, when somebody steps in the direction that they were committed to going and you said, wouldn't do that. But all of it reflects a jealousy that lies latent within our soul. So what if we focus on lifting each other up? What if we focus on encouraging one another? See, that would position us to grow in the way that God has designed us to grow. See, after addressing the attitudes that weren't in line with the way of Jesus, Paul continues on and listen to what he says next. He says, what then is Apollo? So what is Paul? He's like, you're viewing this all wrong. What are they? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul goes, What am I? I'm a servant, I'm not the master, I'm not the one calling the shots. I'm not the one out front, I'm the one down on my knees. He goes, I, I just, I'm the, I'm the water, I, I have a watering can in my hand and I'm just simply watering the rows of seeds. That's my only job here. And he says, listen, what are we? We're servants as the Lord assigned to each. We have our task, the task the Lord gave us and we are committed to doing it as best we can but we are not masters, Paul says. We are simply servants doing what God has called us to. To do And there's this movement. See, immaturity longs for notoriety. But, oh, oh, if you want health that embraces a posture of growth, it demands servanthood. It demands servanthood. And let, can we just be clear? If the Apostle Paul, who wrote multiple letters that we now call Holy Scripture, planted over ten churches... If he considers himself to be just simply a servant, maybe we should consider ourselves in the same way. Maybe, maybe we're no better. And maybe, just maybe, just like God had given the Apostle Paul a task to do, as the Lord assigned to each, maybe he's given us a task to do too. A task and parenting or grandparenting, a task in the work that we're doing vocationally, a task within the church, and maybe it's a quote-unquote important one, and maybe it's not so important. The reality is they're all important, right? They're all important. But maybe just maybe the best way to cut ourselves off from the growth that we long for deep within our soul is to become obsessed with the next task, to become obsessed with the bigger task, to start thinking, well, if I had those resources and I had that opportunity, then I would fully arrive. And here's the truth of the matter. If God wanted you there, he would have you there. But the reality is he's got you where he has you for a purpose, for a reason. And maybe it's just simply for a season. I mean, David was a, the first grubhub driver before he was ever the king of Israel. You realize that, right? He's bringing food to his brothers on the battle line before he's ruling in a palace. But what's he doing? He's being faithful. He's faithfully serving where God has him, trusting that when God wants him somewhere else, he will move him somewhere else. See, the reality is, thinking that you deserve to be the master is a great way to stunt your spiritual growth. Paul goes, I'm just a servant. And I will serve faithfully exactly where God has me as long as he has me there. And he builds on that idea. And listen to what he says next. I planted and Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? God. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. And notice he he moves metaphors from talking about them as babies and infants to talking about them as a field, like like, like a farm. And in the first century, anybody who tilled a field would have known something. They would have known that they have to put in the work to break up the hard ground. They have to put in the hard work of planting the seeds. But while they put in their work, they need to trust God for any sort of fruit to come. Because they were dependent on what? Rain. Rain. They could plant the field, but they couldn't make it rain. And I think what Paul's saying is that there's this tension that we have to live in if we are moving towards maturity and growth. We have to avoid these these pendulums and the outliers. One that says, it all depends on me. If these kids are going to turn out right, I've got to do it perfect. If this business is going to take off, I've got to make all the right moves. It all depends on me. You don't need to put your hand up, but any of you who are living under that weight knows that it will crush you. And here's the other side of the pendulum, and this happens in spiritual circles sometimes, and we say things like, well, it doesn't matter what I do, God's just going to do his thing. Let go and let God. And I don't have to show up at all. How many parents has that worked for? Right? No, no, there's this, there's this maturity demands attention where we show up and we bring our best, but we trust that God is at work and that God is going to make something beautiful of the work of our hands. And if he doesn't, then nothing truly lasting and good will come from it. See, we exert effort. We exert effort. But we trust God for results. Immaturity has the need to control everything. Immaturity believes, if it's gonna turn out good, it's gonna be solely because of me. And immaturity also believes, I'm just gonna take my hands off of it and let whatever happens, happen. No, no, no. A movement of maturity is a movement from control to trust. One of the best ways to shut down the growth God wants to bring about in your life is to commit to a posture of controlling everything. You'll Shut it down. You'll shut it down. Delayed adolescence is the need to control everything. I love the way that the psalmist put it in Psalm 127 when he said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Meaning if God's not at work, the watchmen can do their job perfectly, but the enemies are still going to invade. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I love this. The psalmist doesn't say those who trust God don't work at all. No, the psalmist says those who trust God are willing to work and then they're willing to sleep. And when they sleep, they know that they are loved because God is still at work when they're asleep. That is great news for people like you and for people like me. We bring our best, but we rely on God. So let me just invite you for a moment to just pause and to think about all the good things in your life. My guess is they're other people. My guess is it's, it's love that you share amongst family and friends. My guess is it's It's beauty of some sort that you get to soak in and that you get to respond to. See, here's the truth of the matter. Our greatest blessings are work of his hands, not the result of our labor. Can I get an amen? Amen. The best things in our life aren't things that we did. They're things that he gave. And so if we can trust God with the best, let's trust God with the rest. Let's trust that he will continue to be good in the things that aren't as important. He's been exceedingly good in the things that are the most important. Next, listen to what Paul says, verse 10. He says, according to the grace given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. He goes, listen, I I planted this church, but then I handed it over to Apollos. I laid the foundation, but... Now Apollos is starting to build on it. Let each of you take care how he builds. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is, say it with me church, Jesus Jesus Christ. Now notice he switches metaphors once again from infants to a field and now to a building. But all of them have the same ethos and the same direction of being built, growing towards maturity. And he begins by discussing. Did you catch it? The what? The foundation. Right? Because Paul knows this it doesn't matter how beautiful of a building you construct, if it has a faulty foundation, it will ultimately fail. See, your fruitfulness is determined by your foundation. And Paul doesn't want to make any bones about it. He says, unless you build on Jesus Christ, your life will start to tilt and eventually it will fall apart. It will become like the Millennium Tower in San Francisco. I'm not sure if you're aware of this building project, but it opened in 2009 and it was a luxury apartment high rise. Some of the most uh, prominent of the penthouses went for upwards of $10 million, but it had a faulty foundation. And over the last decade plus, it's begun to sink. It's sunk 26 inches and it's tilted 22 inches, which is not insignificant when you're talking about 58 stories. Can I get an amen? Amen. And some of the doors don't open anymore. The windows won't open. There's cracks in the walls. I'm sure you can get a great deal on them, by the way. (laughs) And I just had this picture. It doesn't matter how beautiful of a building you build if you build it on a faulty foundation. If the foundation isn't healthy, it doesn't matter what kind of materials you use to build on it. But assuming that Jesus is the foundation, it also matters how you build. And that's what Paul begins to talk about next. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood or hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, and that's notice that's capital at least in the ESV, the day, meaning the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so here's Paul's point. One, get the foundation right. Build on Jesus Christ. But then he says, the way that you live your life really matters. In fact, the way that you live your life will one day be judged before the throne of God. Whether you're a believer in Jesus or, or not a believer in Jesus, you will stand before his throne and you will give an account for the way that you lived. For the way that you lived, you used your time, your energy, your money, your resources. Your life will be laid bare. Paul will say it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, it seems to me that Paul's talking in 1 Corinthians 3 here and 2 Corinthians 5, not just about what we do, but about the motivations that we have while we do it that all of that's going to be laid bare before the throne of God and we will give an account. And just so that we're, we're clear on this, Paul is not teaching a salvation by works. He's not saying you'll be saved because of what you do. Now, our salvation comes by grace, through faith, in Jesus alone. That's settled. That's a done deal. But the reality is that the way that we live will have echoes into eternity. And some of the ways that we live will cause us on the day of judgment to have some sort of sadness where we go, gosh, I missed out on opportunities, or there's things that I put my energy and time into that just weren't worth it in light of eternity, and there are some things that we'll look at and we'll go, thank you, Jesus, that I leveraged my life like that. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before the throne of God, I want way more of what I did to stand than to perish. Can I get an amen? I love the way that C.T. Studd put it, and he is that. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it's the immature person that lives only with today in mind, meaning, if I have this desire, I'm going to feed it. If I have this longing, I'm going to meet it. I'm going to be happy in fact, in fact, I believe that God's deepest desire is for me to be happy right now in this moment. So whatever it takes to get there, I'm going to do that. And what Paul would say is that is a posture of immaturity because it's simply living in the temporal. And the mature person has eternity in mind. The mature person knows that they will one day stand before the throne of God to give an account for their life. It's interesting because the city of Corinth had experienced... Tragedy in their past. In 146 BC, the Romans came into Corinth and absolutely wiped it out. It was about a hundred years later, they burned it down. A hundred years later, the Romans came back in and started to rebuild. Sounds like some ulterior motives at play, but you can decide. They started to rebuild, right? And so when Paul writes, your lives will be refined by fire, they will have to stand the test of time. People in Corinth would have known from their history what it looks like for a city to be burned down. And so he's playing on all that's going on in their hearts and minds and saying, you don't want your life to end up in the same way. So I started to ask this question. What are the gold and precious stones and Silver, what, what, are the, what are the things that last? How, how do I build that kind of life? And then I was reminded of this passage that we'll get to in a few months in First Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul says, and now these things, these three, what? Remain. Remain. Th- these three last. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And I would say to you, if you want on the day of judgment, to stand before God and to see the things that you've leveraged your energy and time into, if you wanna see them stand and echo into eternity, build on faith, which is the conviction that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. Step out in faith, take risks in faith. It'll stand on that day. Be a person of hope, convinced of future good because of the character of God. Take steps because of hope. And then finally, love, which is willing the good of another. If you want your life to stand on the day of judgment and for you to rejoice with echoes into eternity, love the people around you. Love the people who are like you and love the people who don't like you. Love the people who are rooting you on and love the people who wish you were gone. (laughs) Love them all. And it will have echoes into eternity. That's the life of maturity, a life of growth. We view our lives in view of that day that we stand before his throne. We live today in light of that day. And listen to the way Paul ended. He said, do you not know that you are God's temple? This is the fourth picture, if you're counting. The first was you're like infants. The second was you're like a field. The third was you're like a building. And now you're like a temple. That God's spirit dwells in you. And this you here, by the way, is a plural. So if you speak Texan, it's all 'all. (laughs) y'all. He dwells in all y'all. Not just in one of you, and certainly he dwells in one of you. But the picture that Paul is giving is that the, the, the church is where God dwells. The church is God's temple, where his presence meets earth. If any of you destroys God's temple, God will destroy you. Somebody say, wow. Like them's fighting words from the Apostle Paul. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I love this picture because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus would say to his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And here Paul says, if you try to destroy God's church, his temple, he will destroy you because it is the very place where his presence starts to dwell, uh, presence dwells on earth. And catch this when Paul writes this, the temple in Jerusalem is still standing. They, They are still doing sacrifices two times every day at the temple in Jerusalem. There are people taking a religious pilgrimage to that temple in worship. And Paul says, that temple in Jerusalem has absolutely nothing on my church. He says, if you want to capture the Shekinah glory of God, get around his people. Don't go to his temple in Jerusalem. Because that's where he dwells, that's where he speaks, that's where he refines people, that's where he forgives, that's where he meets people, is when his people gather together. If you want to be a part of what God is building, you must be a part of the church. That's what he's saying. And oh, what a great promise, because God promises his spirit will sanctify and sustain his church. And that's true for the church in the U.S., And it's true for the church in the Ukraine. And it's true for the church in Russia. And it's true for the church all around the world. God will leverage his power and his spirit to protect and sustain his church. He longs for us to grow, friends. He longs for us to mature. Maybe even more than we do. So would you just... As we begin to close our time today, would you just simply ask God, I just want you to ask him one question. Would you ask him, have I turned into a spiritual Peter Pan? Turned into a spiritual Peter Pan. See, because here's what Peter Pan's life was all about. It was all about adventure. From one thing to the next. Living in Neverland. Neverland never growing up. The perpetual little boy. Delayed adolescence. Would you just ask God, have I I turned into that? Even spiritually speaking, is my growth stunted? And then maybe if it is, would you just look down at your notes and just ask God, am am I harboring jealousy anywhere in my heart? God, am I longing to be something greater than a servant? Jesus, am I trying to control everything and make it happen on my own? And then maybe you ask, have I lost sight of that day where I'll stand before your throne? Friends, let's not have a failure to launch syndrome. Let's take off Let's become the people. Let's become the temple that Jesus designed us to be. His spirit is at work. His spirit dwells in us. And he longs to see us become the church and the people who get to experience his joy and his peace and his love and extend it to others. Let's pray. So Lord, we ask that this would be true of us, that we wouldn't live in a delayed adolescence, that we wouldn't have failure to launch syndrome, but that we would boldly, courageously follow after you. Your spirit is at work. And today I believe that you're calling some to repentance, that you're calling others to name some unhealth in their life that you would start to break it down and allow them to grow again. I believe there's some that are on the treadmill of control, feeling like they've got to make it happen if it's gonna happen, and you're inviting them to trust. Jesus, would you help us grow into the temple, into the people who host your presence, who live in your peace, and who experience your power mightily. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.